Tailwind is one of our greatest partners that we've had. They're all great, Scott. <laughs> they are great. The Tailwind's been been with us since uh, the, almost the very beginning, and we have enjoyed the 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 nation embodying and trying Tailwind. I thought you were going to say we enjoyed the savory taste and all you need all day, really. I thought that's what you were going to say, Scott. <laughs> no, that's what you say. Oh. And we, we have Sally McRae um, uh, with us uh, today, and she's going to talk about yep. Tailwind and 135 miles worth of pavement. Yes. Yeah. That sounds sound a, lot, a lot like a race I've heard of, Sally. Give us some, yes. some lowdown on the hoedown. <laughs> yeah. I had the, the honor and the pleasure of pacing and crewing my buddy Josh Spector for his second 135-mile race. He did Brazil 135 and used Tailwind and then... Um, went on to do the Badwater 135 this past June, July, and he used that all 32 hours. It was incredible, and the guy had his stomach was fine. He ate well all day, um, and the cool thing was, you know, for those of you that aren't familiar with Badwater, the crew, your crew and pacers, follow your runner. Um, pretty much the whole day in a car. So we would drive up like two miles and then Josh would catch up and he would either tell whoever was pacing at that time or he'd yell out in the car, hey, I need more of this or I need more of that. And sometimes we, the crew couldn't get stuff to him fast enough. And so it was really nice because Joan makes these um, single serving packets now. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if we weren't quick enough, we could just run out with the single serving um, pack it and kind of run and, and with already a filled water bottle and throw that in there and shake up the bottle and hand that to them and, and keep them moving. So not only did it do great for the full 32 hours on his gut, it was, um, it just made crewing a lot easier because we had, you know, those, those little tear off packets. We knew it was two scoops, 200 calories going right in. Um, it was really easy to track his nutrition that way. So loved it. Good stuff. So easy, easy on the gut, easy on the crew. Is that what you're telling us, Sally? Yeah, yeah. There we go. Is, is that <laughs> is that good right there? Easy on the gut, easy on the crew. Yeah. Do I hear a shirt coming? Hashtag. <laughs> hey, hey, I, I, I'm curious. What uh, what is Josh's flavor? You know what? Toward, um, during the first half, it didn't matter. But then the second half, and I think a lot of us know, the later we get in the race, the more sensitive our, our bellies are. So he did the naked flavor for the second half, and it was awesome because, you know, sometimes you just don't want anything. And he had those patches where he didn't really just feel like eating and didn't want taste. And so the naked flavor was awesome to have. But he had, I think it was like a mandarin um, flavor yeah. and then like maybe a berry one. He had three different flavors, so the the naked one held held true all the way to the edit, the finish line. Well, great. We'll go to tailwindnutrition.com and check out. We've had a lot of questions about where you can buy this stuff. Uh, the retail outlets they have a few retail outlets that they've set up, but you know, go to their online store. That's the place where uh, where we get it. Is mm -hmm. uh, just go to tailwindnutrition.com. They have the lemon, they have the mandarin, they have the berry. And Don just handed me, because we just ordered some, uh, my full 50 serving bag of raspberry buzz. The that's caffeinated. Right. That's right. The caffeinated. Uh, and when you go to the online store, that's the only way you can get uh, a note from Jenny and a Coca Pelli. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You don't yeah. get that. You don't get that at the mall when you're buying Tailwind. <laughs> so go to go to tailwindnutrition.com and uh, give it a try. Drink Moss. <laughs> Are we recording? 
Face, give me a little uh, one, two. One, two. One, three, four, five, six. Check. Ashley, were you expecting a professional podcast? No, I wasn't. Apparently not. Sorry, guys. Yeah. And it was a miserable, miserable day. Welcome to another edition of Trail Runner Nation. I'm Don Freeman. I'm Scott War. I'm Sally McRae. And I'm Warren Pohl. <laughs> what, a, what a group. <laughs> Not even rehearsed and we nailed it. <laughs> well, after 170 or so, Scott, it seems like it might fall into place accidentally once in a while. <laughs> we, are, we are with uh, Warren Pohl, who is in Barcelona, Spain. Training hard or tapering hard, we're not quite sure. We'll we'll get the details on it for his attempt at UTMB here in two weeks. Nice, Sally McRae, you're somewhere in remote. a cabin. She's in a cabin somewhere. <laughs> where are, where are you, I'm Sally McRae? She's holding I'm... an antenna on the uh, on the roof of that cabin, <laughs> hoping to get some reception. Seriously, this is dedication, right right here, people. I we actually surprised our kids last night. We put them to bed. And then we went back in the room and said, just kidding, get out of bed. We're going on vacation. And we drove up to the mountains, and we have this nice little house near the lake up in Lake Arrowhead. So we're going to, we're vacationing for a few days. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. What, you, you know, as, as a trail runner, um, can you share the elevation <laughs> that you're at? I, I imagine you know your elevation, Sally. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I believe I'm at 6,400. Yeah, that's, you know you're a trail runner if you know your elevation. You, you, that, you know that's actually a very very good point. People know yeah. where they are in when they're in the mountains. They got to know what their elevation is. Well, today's go, go ahead, ahead, Sally. I was just gonna say it's how I chose vacation, right? Hey, kids, we, yeah. on our vacation, really, we're just getting altitude training. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hey, hey, Warren, how is Barcelona, Spain? As you as you sit in your uh, your beautiful view there, because you did give us a a, a bit of a, a picture of that on online with a video shot. Yeah, it's uh, it's magical. We I say we've uh, we've swapped our flat temporarily with some lovely people from here, so they're living in our place in uh, in central London, and we're currently living six floors up in a penthouse in the centre of Barcelona with. I've got the sea out to one side, and then the mountains, such as they are. Now, you, you talk about knowing your elevation. They go to about 600 meters. You'll have to do the conversion for feet. So they're not massive, but it's only a 20-minute train ride from my front door for two euros gets me into those mountains with uh, enough trails that the park there is big enough. They run 100K Ultra in it every year, and you can just get lost. So uh, it's an amazing city, but it's also, trail runners, a great place to come running. You know, I need friends like your friends, Warren. You just you you do a lot of swapping. In, He's connected. Yeah, <laughs> we don't do a lot of swapping over here in the United States, do? Or, or maybe people just don't want to swap with me. But <laughs> it, it seems to be in vogue over there in Europe to uh, swap your your place of residence. Uh, we're we're all over it. It's it's brilliant because you know if if your work can travel like ours can, then as long as we got a connection uh, by the miracles of technology, much like now. We can kind of work from, from a lot of places, but it's too prohibitive in the cost if you're renting accommodation and living in a hotel is a bit rubbish after a while. But, yeah, we, we, uh, we signed up to a house swap website, and there seems to be loads of people who are up for it. And, uh, yeah, we've, we've been all over with it. 
You know, that that was my question. Is there a house swapping website? That- yes, Airbnb. <laughs> you know about that, Sally? One? Well, nearly. Airbnb is the financial version. You can rent your own place out on Airbnb. But this, this is just a straight swap. So no money changes hands oh, anywhere. Wow. We, we oh, live like in their that. place. They, they live in ours. So what's, what's the name of your coveted website over there that uh, allows you to swap? It's called homelink.org, and uh, it is a really clunky, clumsy, pretty hopeless, old-fashioned website. But this is a company that started doing house swap by letter. So, uh, you know, <laughs> they're, they're moving with the time slowly. But uh, we've just met great people through it, and, you know, there's people all over the world, and you just send them a few emails, and if they're up for it, you set up a swap, and before you know it, you're, you're living in someone else's house. It's brilliant. You know, I think I would be a little bit nervous doing that, getting some stranger into my house. <laughs> do, do, do you lock down the fine china, Warren? <laughs> Hello? Hello. Hey, Warren, can you hear me? Yeah, I, I can hear you all right. Sorry about yeah. that. Drop dropped out. Well, my, my pressing question, do you lock down the fine china and silver as uh, in, in the teacups over uh, there? The, the, the teacups that are kept for the queen, all that sort of thing, it, it requires an adjustment. Essentially, we have very little. When we saw, when Eric and I saw you in the States, we were traveling hand luggage only, but really that's kind of everything we own. So there's not much to unpack when we leave. Um, and, and by virtue of the fact that you're in someone else's house, um, kind of there's, there's a remarkable level of trust, like much more than average. I mean, we've been to places where people have left everything, you know, full sets of, of documents and all the arts on the walls and, and whatever. Hmm. Um, and we, we leave most stuff as well. It's, uh, it, it's pretty remarkable. Well, good. Scott, let's, let's, let's start with you and I. I'll, I'll swap houses with you across town. <laughs> yeah. I've, got a, I've got a lawn to mow. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can swap with Sally's cabin. Yeah, <laughs> Sally. That's, that sounds good. We've got to get you on, 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 the, uh, on the swapping site. Exactly. <laughs> And speaking of swap, one up between ourselves, trail runners can swap their houses to run all over the world. Ooh, I love that. We'll get get our web ninja all over that, and he can uh, (laughs) design a module on Trail Runner Nation where he can swap houses (laughs) (laughs) with with a very large disclaimer that we are not responsible for any fires. (laughs) (laughs) Or weirdos. Speaking of swapping, that's pretty much the uh, topic of the day. It's a grab bag, and we're going to swap a little, uh, some some statements and and some observations. And as Scott said, Sally, girls are first. All right. So um, many of you Trailer Nation listeners, so exciting having you guys uh, join us on our Facebook page. Um, Recently, we've been posting some really fun questions. Uh, no, wait, Sally, can I interrupt? You've been posting fun questions. <laughs> I, I, I tried to post one, and it somehow rejected the, the question and, and spit it back to me. <laughs> hey, it was a good question about chaffage. Yeah, it, it, it didn't go anywhere. I got Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've, we've been po- we have been posting some questions, and um, it's just been fun, like, seeing the interaction and just the community come out and comment and the the questions that I that I try to pick are usually pretty simple and stuff that um that I like to talk about on the trail or just stuff that comes up on the trail when you're running with friends or um sitting out sitting around at a race and so um 
those are the questions that I'm going to be talking about today because some of the answers are just absolutely hilarious, shocking, um, but also insightful. So if you're a race director, you should hop on our page every now and then because uh, you might you might learn something. The first one um, that I'm going to bring up is getting towards the end of a, of a race. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking more of like a, a 50-mile or 100-mile race when you're just wrecked. Well, I guess you can be pretty wrecked at the end of 50K, too. But you're coming into, like, one of the last aid stations. What is it that you hope to see? Um, and we had answers from strippers. We hope to see strippers. <laughs> and seriously, I just want to address that, people. Like, <laughs> is that... Like, seriously, that is really what you want to see when you look like you've been just hit by a freight train and you're completely depleted, you're tired, and you, you really want to see a stripper. Um, that that cracked me up. Um, there are some other great responses in there just about, you know, specifics, you know, cold soda, hamburgers, grilled cheese. Um, a lot of people were talking about maybe a pacer, or even the finish line. They hope they come into the uh, the last aid station and it would be the finish line. So the boys um, joining me this morning, do you guys have anything to add to that? Or were you guys able to get in on the comments and and uh, and see that question? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I actually, I did not comment on it. <laughs> but you, uh, you didn't put strippers, Scott? No, I didn't put strippers. <laughs> that, that was, was my real idol. comment. I need to talk to these people. <laughs> there was more than one that said something like that, I think. Um, you know, there I, were I, seven. You, I, <laughs> seven? <laughs> Who's counting? <laughs> you know, the, the one thing that I thought was, was surprising to me was how many food items people were requesting. And, and, and they were, you know, very different food items that you, the <laughs> aid station worker or a, a, a race director could have, you know, Late in a race, I do not want anything to eat, really. I mean, that's that's not what I'm looking for. I, I think that one of the nice things um, for me is is just a, a, a bucket of water with a sponge that you can kind of wipe off the grime off your face and, mm-hmm. and your arms and stuff. That's what I look forward to in those later aid stations. Yeah, there was a uh, – you, you know what I laughed about, too? Quite a few people said, I'd love to come in and do an aid station, and then it's a downhill. Really? <laughs> so a lot of you know, times late late into a race, that's the last thing that we want um, is a downhill. I guess it depends on the course too, but uh, usually the the quads are shot, IT bands are screaming, and uh, a lot of I, I hear frequently if a race ends with with a downhill, it's just mean. It's mean, but we'll we'll make sure that we send over the the um the races that have downhills for you folks that were, that were asking for that and you go enjoy that <laughs> well, you know I, go ahead warren the question of gradient isn't it because i'm thinking finish line is a good one and i'm thinking downhill will be my backstop but you're absolutely right a downhill laparado ultra trail it, it's the most hideous downhill section out of the last checkpoint it is absolutely foul and detestable from start to finish <laughs> um but like a really nice, gentle piece of flat, dry, grassy thing that, you know, just rolls you in. <laughs> Clearly, it's never going to happen. But that's, I think that's, that's the one you want, isn't it? You talking about a sled? <laughs> oh, what, sorry, a sled, but even better. Give, give me a sled, give me a cable car, give me a bus. 
<laughs> a bicycle. Actually, what about a bicycle? How many times do you run along and think, oh. I wish I just had a bicycle for this bit? Oh, yeah. You see somebody on one. You're thinking, oh, just let me on that thing. I, I, I don't know. I've had some chaffage around there that a bicycle would have been murder for me. <laughs> You know, I don't. My my response would be, and I don't know if it's asking too much, but just a little bit of accurate information. Just give oh me some. God, yes. Give me some truth. <laughs> only only Stop one more mile. There. If, if it's up, tell me it's up. If it's down, I need to know. Down some honesty. That's yeah. what you want. Just a little a, honesty. Just a little bite of honesty. But have you ever been on the other side of that, where you're? You've traveled to the last checkpoint as a spectator, maybe by vehicle or something, and you say, to, and in your mind, it is only a mile away. You're like, it's just a mile. And you realize afterwards, actually, it's 12. <laughs> <laughs> See how easy that is to do. <laughs> Warren, you, you have, have taught us about the, um, the European aid stations at an ultra, especially there in the UK. Mm. What do you like to see at a late aid station? Um, I think I'm pretty conservative in that I know it's not the end, so I just want to get in and out of there and get to the end. But I, I, I'd definitely be out there at the finish line. There's sometimes that hope that, hey, maybe when they wrote out that course profile and all those details, they were wrong, and it's not 10 miles from here. It's actually only one, um, and, and that never happens. A, a little <laughs> bit of gentle downhill could be nice. Who, who knows what food cravings might hit, but... Uh, no, I'm I'm generally quite conservative, but the uh, the sparkling wine they put on in Italy at the Lavaredo, that that's quite a nice little touch because you, you kind of know. Ooh, there's nothing you have wine at an aid station? Uh, they have beer at all the aid stations out there, which I cannot fathom at all. Um, but yeah, yeah, wow. sparkling wine. Um, the 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 beer I, I I had never seen that even in a in the UK ultra and. Uh, but uh, yeah, a little bit of wine. But you're saying every every aid station has beer, so someone can progressively get drunker as the race goes on. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I don't think I noticed the race starts at midnight uh, or eleven o'clock. I didn't notice it through the night, but definitely in the daytime, the uh, the beer was out, and some of the German runners were mixing beer and coke, which looked even worse. Um, <laughs> someone told me it was good for minerals. I'm like, I'm really sure it's not. I mean, I quite like a beer, but. Not when I got fifty miles left to run. Right, that makes for an interesting race. Yeah, I mean, who knows? That adds, that adds, that adds a little bit more because it's not interesting enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it just saps all your energy. I, I know it would for me, but did you have anyone saying that's what they want at that penultimate egg station? Is a real cold beer? We did. We yeah, did. Yeah, quite a few people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People. Okay, so Warren, guests uh, are second, so uh, give us a topic. Well, I, I, I think my, my topic is how ultra running turn, can turn you into a hobo. <laughs> turn you into a hobo. <laughs> yeah, and, and Sally, you, you've alluded to this already from the, uh, the uh, runners who were saying they wanted strippers, and you're like, well, at the state you're in and a fine lane station, do you really want strippers? They're probably not. Um, and this came to me... Uh, recently, it was Lavaredo Ultra Trail last month when at the end of the race, uh, there I was in last night's clothes, staggering around a, a town center, barely able to walk. And I was struck with an absolutely unavoidable need to uh, hang onto a lamppost, double up and vomit into the street. 
I was just saying, and, and you had your bottle of sparkling wine with you in a brown bag, right? <laughs> well, short of that, I, I mean, the smell, I was muttering to myself, I couldn't walk, <laughs> I would have eaten anything, I would have eaten like pizza out of the nearest bin, um, and I was vomiting <laughs> in the street in last night's clothes. I mean, the picture is complete, frankly, and, and yet... Because I had run an, an ultramarathon, then apparently this was something virtuous, whereas had I just been lying in the street asking for change, no one would have given me the time of day. Um, what do you make of this one? <laughs> I need to reassess the people I see on the side of the road with a sign in their hand. I should ask if they've been running. Maybe they just were on a, tr on a, a training run? <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, this, this, is, this is a great question because I've actually had this conversation with, with a few running friends, how we get so used to when we're out on the trails doing things like um, going to the bathroom and <laughs> just Without being totally, totally vulnerable. But I've been in places um, just out and about, like in the city running errands with my kids. And I'm like, man, I really need to go to the bathroom. Like, where's the bathroom? And my instinct is, oh, there's a bush over there. <laughs> there's a bush over there. And I, and I, but I immediately, I mean, it's, immediate that I'm like, I cannot believe that I actually just thought about going to the bathroom in that bush. Like, <laughs> because that's just what we do. <laughs> and that's okay. But taking those habits, taking what we do, those habits out from the trail, and just living them in everyday life would be hilarious. I mean, the way that we act in the dirt. Can you imagine? Well, you can right. just see, you, you'd be waiting for a, a bus or something, having run out somewhere and, and getting the bus home, and you're wearing all your gear and sort of lying on the floor a bit and the, the smell's coming off you and you're, you're muttering. And people would probably start throwing change at you. You'd probably make good money. <laughs> you may be able to make your race fee back, right? <laughs> well, you, you, you know, the, the trail has, has its own culture because if you have gas, whether it needs to go, you know, out through the, the mouth or, or through the not, back, not you, a just, big deal. you just let it go. And it's because you can't carry that for, a, you know, 50 miles. So it's, it's accepted. But if you're riding in an elevator, you know, to up to the fifth floor, you, you just have a different protocol. <laughs> it's a sudden change at the end of a race when particularly if there aren't so many other runners around uh, or you've moved away from sort of the epicenter of the finish and you might go into a bar or a hotel or, or a home and you're with people who want to see you and, and you know, but you're back in the real world. Are you suddenly conscious of quite how bad you smell? It's like, I really should not be near polite company right now. Some switch has really very quickly flipped. Or let me ask you this, guys. So, so in our own community on the trail, and we recognize there are trail runners because they have that shirt or they're wear, they're, they've got the right bottles in their hand, etc. Um, and so you know the culture. But when you're out there, do you still look for a bush? And are you free to expel gas and, and comments? Um, when there are non-trail runners that are sharing the trail, do you have a different, do you have a different sense of control? Like a new, like maybe it's a road runner that says, "Hey, can I join you for a short trail run?" Like that kind of instant. <laughs> well, that it, that could be, or or maybe just uh, you know passing by a group <laughs> that's out there <laughs> doing their own day hike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think it does come come down to who you're most comfortable with, and. I feel like the more seasoned the trail runner, the easier it is to be comfortable because you just know, like, oh yeah, they get it. Um, I remember when I first started training with, um, I trained with, you know, the guys on my on my crew, yeah. and I was new to trail running. Um, I I remember all of us were much more apologetic about everything, you know, a, a, 
a bird birth bar. Oh, you know, I'm sorry. You know, part of me, excuse me. No, it's like, seriously? Like, that's just normal. You don't even, it, it doesn't even get any attention anymore. It's just <laughs> every five minutes, it's <laughs> coming out. I, I, Not a big I, I, deal. <laughs> <laughs> and and it evolves from that, Sally. I know that uh, when when Don and I are running, we we actually applaud. <laughs> I don't know about congratulations. That was good. Way to go, that w- way to go, Don. Uh, you know, That's Scott. Like you're applauding yourselves or other people. <laughs> I thought we had a lot of ducks out there. <laughs> you never find them. <laughs> you know, uh, along that same lines, um, you know. How many times have you been at a race and you're a little getting later in the race and you happen to see like a a goo, an unopened goo that somebody inadvertently mm-hmm. dropped? You pick it up and you're thinking, I think I can use that later. Have you? Well, but have you have you ever considered, and everybody honest on this, a salt tab that's on the ground that you know you're in salt salt deficit? All of a sudden, oh, I, I have. Oh yeah. yeah. That's like Absolutely. gold, <laughs> a nugget. <laughs> you don't even, you almost don't even wipe it on your on your dirty shorts. Heck, there's minerals oh. in that. <laughs> you, and this is how we make friends on the trail. This is this is why we love our community. Everybody is your friend in a race. I have asked almost every race. I'll ask strangers, you know, all the time. You got you guys got any extra salt pad? Yeah. <laughs> So, so, I mean, so begging comes in, just like a Kobo. There's begging that happens. Oh, nice, Scott. Way to tie that in. Maybe we should, that's why we have so many races now. You have to carry uh, your own personal cup. It's not for filling the drink at the aid station. It's for asking people for change and free gel. <laughs> it's a slow trend. They're, they're, they're weaving this in. Yeah. Okay, so... so um, if we're done with the uh, hobo topic, um, I'm going to take us to a, 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 a little more serious topic. Um, I read an article recently that uh, ties into um, uh, one of the adventures that Warren, when he was over here in the States, Warren and, and Don went down to the Grand Canyon and ran uh, part of the Grand Canyon. Um, there's an article that was in a magazine that I recently read about... Um, the Grand Canyon and the possibilities that that uh, that running will be banned. I don't think they'll get to that to that uh, level, but the the number of runners that are attempting the rim to rim to rim or the rim to rim or whatever is is increased dramatically, and the canyon um, officials are meeting this fall to address that issue. That they're just having. Too many instances where people are going in unprepared, uh, where the resources uh, to manage the canyon are are now being pulled to rescuing people and 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 helping people that have gotten hurt. Runners, um, they're having incidences of runners that are impolite and they're not yielding to the mule trains and stuff like that, um, and that juxtapositioned against some of the other things like bad water, you know, bad water being forced yeah. out of the bad water basin and death Valley mm-hmm. this year, uh, possibly coming back next year. And then that also with Leadville coming up this, this weekend, um, last year, Leadville had a lot of, uh, um, comments because they increased the number of entrants to a thousand people. And that really caused a strain on, the resources, the aid stations, the roads, and, and all that sort of stuff. That's my topic. I want to know where, wh- what do you guys think about that? 
You know, I have a... a, (laughs) Yeah, you know, one of my buddies, when he was running down there, I think it was about six or seven months ago, he actually was about to run past um, one of the park rangers, and um, the park rangers stopped him, and he's really agitated and frustrated, and they kind of got got into it for a couple minutes. Um, You know, and, and my buddy... Thankfully, uh, was was kind enough to have a little bit of patience with them and just kind of heard him out. But you know, the the ranger, for whatever reason, was especially frustrated that day. And I think a part of it was because it was so crowded. There, and I think his job is just becoming more um, not difficult, but maybe maybe more intense because he has so much that he has to be aware of as far as safety is concerned and how many people are on the trail. And, um, you know, that really isn't a trail for beginners. And yet, because it's so beautiful, we see, you know, people vacationing and flocking to that area constantly. And I think that this is maybe a, uh, a good and a, 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 maybe a good problem because it's it's showing one that that more people are are getting outside and if it's more trail runners that are that are kind of flooding the uh the trails i mean it it goes hand in hand with the rise in the number of races the number of lotteries that are being put on races and now we're seeing more people hitting the trails i think it's it's exciting we want to be outside more we want to be exploring and adventuring but um but obviously safety first and park rangers and permits and laws and all that stuff we have to uh, we have to consider too. Hey, hey Warren, do you have that same issue over in uh, in your neck of the woods? I mean, are there uh, races or, tra- or or areas that people just really want to run that have caused this kind of an issue over in Europe? Um, not so much. I think um, there are. There are the problems we have uh, are mountain problems. So uh, even in the UK, they're not quite as big uh, at any stretch as, as uh, anything like the Grand Canyon, or, or certainly mountains like you know the Alps and the Pyrenees. But uh, people getting in trouble on mountains has happened forever and will still happen. But I think certainly among European trail runners, most people are pretty savvy and. You know, you wouldn't go out without the right gear. You wouldn't go out without telling someone where you were going. You wouldn't go out without a map and compass. You wouldn't go out without checking the weather. All of those things. So, and there, there aren't, there isn't really that key focal point. Like the, the Grand Canyon's an ultimate bucket list run. Um, whereas, you know, uh, doing the Three Peaks or something in the UK, that's that is a big run. But I, I just don't think it attracts people quite the same way. And, and most people who go and do challenges like that, they tend to be organized. So the ones doing it on their own are generally able to fend for themselves and don't get in trouble. Famous last words. Hey, hey Warren, uh, you know, in the, in the land of the free over here in the United <laughs> States, <laughs> it's, it sounds like we're not. It sounds like we're, we're, we're burdened with all these regulations. We are, we are walking around but, with uh, cuffs on our hands and our ankles, literally. <laughs> and, and yeah, you, you are, but in, in certain states you're doing it and open carrying a weapon at the same time, and, and that has got to be freedom, surely. You know, it, it, it's a new kind of freedom when you're when you're packing uh, some heat. Um, <laughs> let me ask. Let, let me ask you. Um, do you have the same parking fees every time you turn around? There's a there's a parking fee just to use your public lands 
as we have here in, on the West Coast in California. I know some of my other states that you're allowed to hand carry well, weapons. I, you're good. I would say Nevada is considered Nevada, Colorado, yeah. Wyoming, Utah. Those are all considered West. I like and you, that. And you don't have to well, parking fees there. No, I said I said California. Oh, okay. We're, we're, we, we have oh, our own we have parking fees here for sure. Three bucks every time you park. Yeah. Unless you, you and I mean it's a good support for the parks, but. You know, there's definitely other areas, maybe 100 yards down the road, where you can park for free and run in. But I like to see it as supporting the park or buying a yearly permit. I've been written for a parking ticket for, with at a stoplight that I was at too long. I mean, they're tough around this place. <laughs> Warren, what, what's it this like in true. Europe? What's it like over there? Okay, so uh, if we were to narrow it down a bit, parks and stuff, you're uh, you're generally pretty good. Um, unlikely to be a fee. Those things are often covered by uh, by local councils, but you, you might be you know given an opportunity to make a donation if you fancied, or or buy a buy a map for it for an extra fee, or use their cafe or whatever. But uh, if you want parking fees, London really is the place. It, it doesn't matter how long you live in London, you will pay an involuntary tax at least once a year. And I've you know I grew up there. I've lived there all my life. I will pay an involuntary stupid tax once a year because I have not seen a yellow line that's been smudged out. I've not seen a parking sign that's been bent out of shape. I've not seen a speed camera, the congestion charge you have to pay to drive in certain bits of central London. Bus lanes, you're not allowed to drive in those, but they're all, they've all got different hours on them, so you've got to keep an eye on those signs. There's something waiting to catch you out in the city, but fortunately the running's hopeless, so... Uh, None of our uh, listeners should should be trying to park in central London because if they do, they'll be very disappointed with their their subsequent run. Warren, you still have the uh, the the now infamous uh, Warren Pole London running tour that you've found the best way to see London in what fourteen miles or seven miles or every site within two hours on your feet. What what is that? What is the famous tagline for your run? Well, I, I'm I'm not sure it, it has an official tagline, but I. Uh, having said running in central London is disappointing, there are one or two runs that are, that are well worth it. And one which I passed on to a couple of nation members who've, who've asked is the, the central London running tour. And it, and it basically takes you from Hyde Park uh, down through the Wellington Arch, down to Buckingham Palace, onto Trafalgar Square, Ooh. dropping down onto the Thames. I think we need to have a Trouble Under Nation uh, vacation. Field trip. Or a getaway <laughs> there, yes. Field trip. I see it coming. Now, the best thing about this run is literally, you're right, in two hours, you can nail most of the key sites of central London, and you, you'll be oh, running through awesome. a whole lot of them. Don't you have to pay a, 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 a guy standing guard someplace so you can you know, make it through a certain alley that otherwise has been uh, you know, off limits? Not at all, not at all, but uh. you will. If, if you time it right, you'll see the changing of the guard, and the, there's a separate guards box uh, just down from Buckingham Palace where they're always... A couple of guards in their big bearskin hats, stomping up and down and uh, trying to keep straight faces while tourists take pictures of them all day. Um, so you, you can get all of that and uh, and more, and a good decent dose of London smog and uh, hopefully rain as well. <laughs> so 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 back to to my topic. <laughs> sorry, sorry, we hijacked it a bit. No, I, I, I was just going to say, you know, you know, I. I love the outdoors. I want to make sure that it's protected. I make, want to make sure that, that we're not overusing or overtaxing um, uh, our resources. Um, mm -hmm. but, I, but I would really hate for any kind of regulation that would go the extreme opposite end of the spectrum 
to Agreed. say you you can't do it. Um, you know, there's mm-hmm. a famous a famous peak here in in Yosemite in California called Half Dome, and I believe it was either last year or the year before they they you could anybody could go up there. You just needed to yep. you know go. And now mm-hmm. they they issue a certain number of permits, daily permits, right. which is mm-hmm. supposed to keep the crowds down and keep it safer. But in reality, since they made that regulation, there's been more deaths on Half Dome than there were before. People fighting for the oh, permits. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Stomping <laughs> <Yeah>. each other. <laughs> yeah. It was not actually on Half Dome. It was at the ranger station, people <laughs> punching each other out. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, I, I think a, a big part of the growth, too, what, what is crucial in all of this is the education you know, a lot of people, I mean, we're, we're seeing this just anywhere and in, in any, anyway, in the outdoor sports, I mean, there's more like crazy events and, you know, what's the craziest, most exciting, um, verge of death event that we can do. I mean, we're seeing this with art and races and tough mutters and, you know, and then fun, fluffy things like the bubble run and the, and the color run, but everything is about, you know, the ad- adventure and, and pushing yourself to that limit. But the problem is, is not everyone takes into consideration the training or the details that need to be considered before you actually go out and do these things. Yeah, they are fun and exciting, and it's it's fun to to think that we can just throw a backpack on and and go out and do these things, or that we can just train for four weeks and that we're going to be fine and we'll just get by. But I think that there needs to be a certain level of education and knowledge before you tackle these things and not only that i think that's where you're going to get your 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 best experiences um you know i go out on the trails all the time actually ethan newberry some of you guys know ethan newberry he's the ginger runner um he and i and some other guys from my crew like three months ago we were out on a run in the um in the san gabriel mountains and we kept on joking about these, these certain sections that we were hitting. It was on a weekend. It was really, really crowded for whatever reason. We, we had like three miles left of descending on this technical trail. And there were people walking up leisurely. It was a really hot day, leisurely in full sweats, beanies, no water, you know. And, and to us, you know, here we are. We have these packs. We're running really, you know, we have light clothes on and, you know, you know, the rules of the trail and you're encountering people. They're just kind of like standing in the middle of the trail, meandering. They have no gear. They're three miles up from the trailhead. And first thoughts are just, what, what are these people thinking? Like, this is not safe. And why are you wearing that? Why don't you have water? It's 105. Um, and I, I think just, again, going back to the idea that if, if we were able to educate people a bit more, um, maybe it would be easier for rangers and for parks to handle the masses because people would know how to operate and they'd know to come and prepare it and they'd know the rules of the trail and they'd know to take care of the land and not just treat it like a trash can. So many, so many details. The, those people that are standing out there in the uh, cold, in the cold weather gear on a hot day, they're going to yeah. learn. I mean, they they will never do that again. You want to? You can read a pamphlet, so. Sally. You can read the pamphlet and you can go through the checklist. But until you've been out there and you've been hot, you know, you're not going to learn. 
So mm-hmm. I say, let the, let them stroll in their winter gloves <laughs> and their and their galoshes. <laughs> Stup- what 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 is the Forrest Gump said? Stupid is what stupid does. Yeah. So uh, you, you know, I, something brilliant I, and, like and that. And we've all done that. I mean, I've been yeah. out on a run on a hot day by myself, didn't take enough water, thought I was gonna die a mile from my mm-hmm. car, and and did make it back, <laughs> and and that taught me. I'm never going to get caught in that situation again. Of course, it happened again, but but the point mm-hmm. is 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 you have to learn through your experiences. Um, Absolutely. I and I I don't know. I guess the Grand Canyon is an exception because it's so easy to go down to the <laughs> you, bottom. Yeah, you start yes. you start at the top. <laughs> you start at the top. You're going yes. down, and you could get caught. And yes. I, and I although I think I've I haven't been there, Don and Warren, and we'll get to a story here in a minute. Aren't there warning signs before you head down the trail that say, hey, you can die? So, several thousand, if I remember rightly. <laughs> and, and, and Don is looking at me like, I don't remember seeing any signs. <laughs> I, I, I just remember trying to, trying to, sort of looking into it beforehand and, you know, looking online and reading stuff from the park and, and all of that. And, and essentially, the, the message that came through was, you're going to die if you do this. You're really, really going to. And, and I think that's there because they are taking account of the fact that at least 80% of the people entering the canyon are in galoshes and mittens in the middle of summer or you know, carrying no water or wearing one right. flip, you know. Um, and and account for them nicely because we, we got there and, well, I, I, maybe I'll hand over to Don because... As a, a, a former Marine, he turned up incredibly prepared. On, on the accommodation side alone, you, you were over-prepared, I think, Don. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although his, his, his wife wouldn't concur. I think she had a very cold <laughs> evening the night before. Well, we, we had. Let, let me start with that and defend myself a bit. Because Warren is, is kind of uh, um, rip, put, putting an elbow in my ribs when I wasn't exactly prepared. As as Janet, my wife, as we as we get to go to the campground, and it's a bit chilly. What time of the year was it, Warren? I forget. It was. I believe it was late November. So it was possibly the first week of December. There was there was snow and frost. <laughs> <laughs> but not to worry, because Scott War, my good friend, loans me a heater for the inside of my tent. So. <laughs> No need to bring extra blankets or warm weather gear. We've got an almost a, an internal furnace that we'll be able to blow it. And, and my biggest concern was what was the heat ratio or or a fire hazard rating on my tent because I could see that it was going right? to go up like a marshmallow. <laughs> well, you know that uh, that heater worked well for about three minutes and uh, ran out of propane. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I remember. But I, I remember that possibly in anticipation of the potential uh, Saharan conditions you would be subjecting yourself and Janet to inside the tent, if I remember rightly, was there no outer for the tent? It was just an inner, wasn't it? Well, you know, I, I felt uh, that ventilation was important since I had this internal <laughs> furnace going. I understand. I'd forgotten that key bit about the uh, the furnace saving the day and running out as soon as you'd started it. 
You didn't put the fly on the tent? Heck no. I wanted. I, I was afraid of uh, asphyxiation of uh, internal furnace in, in a tent, so I wanted to have some that's ventilation. A very good, that's a very good point. So actually, you were being very, very safe and forward-thinking. And in your defense, um, Thank you. <laughs> having driven from uh, the far side of, of the country, well, at least it looked like a bloody long way to me. I, I'm, I'm sure in America people drive that far for a glass of milk. But uh, that, that to me was you, you crossed several countries worth the mileage there to, to, to get over. Um, and you arrived in, in the middle of the night and instantly started setting stuff up and um it was all going so swimmingly until the small moment when when the when the heater didn't quite work well lucky lucky for us uh the seats in the vehicle we rented uh, reclined so we did get a little bit of rest (laughs) as we all did the next morning when we when we went to the canyon on this uh major mission and arrived at the top, ready for our really early start, to discover one of the only temperature inversions in limit living memory. And uh, we, we had to sleep another couple of hours in the car, didn't we, all of us? It, it, we, it was, it was, uh, I'm glad that it worked out that way because I needed some rest. But it, <laughs> it was so foggy, and, and Warren had scouted out the, the trailhead. And when we showed up, it was so foggy that he said, I have no idea where the trailhead is at this point. And, oh and we debated on, on whether forging forward without vision or, or yeah. just waiting a bit, and so. I, I love that you debated that too. That's a true trail runner. <laughs> we, we did debate it, but they, they, <laughs> I, I would have liked to have said it'll be fine, but all the voices in my head were everything I had read from the park, saying you're going to die. I'm like, well, if we go down there when we can't see, we're, we're not even gonna. I don't know. We'll die twice. Now, now, now being responsible um, and and having uh, our wives with us, I think if we were solo. Warren, we might have just forged ahead and said, well, what could go wrong with this? I don't think there's a might in it. Both of us would have had internal voices going, I don't think this is a good idea, but he seems to think it's fine. So I don't want to lose face here. Of course, let's go. And and, and I think as as a bit of uh, of comfort, you told me not to worry. I've brought a bit of scotch. (laughs) (laughs) What what does that have to do with anything? Last man's drink? I don't know. Yeah, Warren, yeah. Warren, did you bring booze? Don't in your flask. That's the secret. Warren, did a you bring booze to the Grand Canyon? Uh, absolutely brought booze to the Grand Canyon, and we had it in the hot chocolate later. It was absolutely spectacular. It was a, it was only a, only a twelve-year-old a single malt, but it absolutely, dear oh dear, did it do the job. <laughs> now, now, you know, speaking why there there are lines for these these fantastic locations. There, I've never been on a run anything like the Grand Canyon. And, and there are runs that you could say aren't anything like that because there are many places that are all their own that are just flat beautiful. This has a beauty as well, and, and what a wonderful wonderful adventure running down well, that. What it was an enormous river at the bottom. I mean, a, a great adventure, but the, the feeling of achievement on arrival at, at, at the river at the bottom was, was really something else. When we were stood on that beach there, um, small matter of we had a very long way uphill to get home, but uh, <laughs> very nice, very nice. Shame you couldn't make it, Scott. I, I will next time. But I was the I, I was I was the the smart one of the bunch that realized that I was not properly trained for running the Grand Canyon, and I would have died. <laughs> what, what he realized is he he only had a half a bottle of propane. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going there. I'm gonna freeze to death. So Warren, the the reason we went was to because you had an article to write, and uh, do you have? Uh, and I've yet to see it see that article. I've been searching Google like a fiend looking for it. 
there there is a funny funny reason for that you see because uh yes it, it was it was a, it would have been a story and uh, there were a couple of newspapers back in the uk and a couple of magazines were all set to take it so uh, if you remember rightly we painstakingly took a number of pictures on on the way down and the way back does that ring a bell yes yes i was uh, i was standing standing in those pictures and some of them and taking a few Indeed you were. And, and I had been, uh, Erica and I were traveling very light. We didn't have a camera with us, but we had been staying pr uh, previously with a friend uh, who is a very high level professional photographer and lives in Hollywood. And he had lent me a camera. Now he is an incredibly high level professional advertising photographer. And he's been doing this forever. This is how I met him many years ago. I said, Paul, may I borrow a camera? I told him what we were doing. I said, I just want something small. So he pulled out his point and shoot, which was a super deluxe one, and he gave that to me. And we used that. Now, because of the cold, he didn't have the charger. He'd just moved house, but there's enough battery there. But we were very low on battery, so we had to spare that battery. And we were turning the camera off and picking our points and then taking one shot. And Anyway, so we, the camera died, I think, quite ceremoniously on our return to the rim. And uh, it died after the last shot. So perfect. Job's in the bag. We've done well. Um, I then got back to his house after the canyon. And uh, I, I downloaded the pictures, and, and they were tiny. That uh, they weren't even a megabyte, oh, no. not even half a megabyte each. And and, and I said, uh, I, I thought, obviously, stupid me, uh, you know, journalist. There's a bit of a saying that he, he and I would have when we worked together, which was me words, him pictures. You know, I don't mess with the <laughs> photography; he don't mess with the words. It's, it was a simple arrangement; it worked very well. I, I said, Paul, I'm obviously being very stupid. Please, uh, why can I only download these pictures the size of postage stamps? And uh, he, he fiddled around for a bit, and I thought salvation is on its way. And instead, he went, that's because they are the size of postage stamps. Oh, oh no. This, this incredibly high-level photographer has one addition in his life that he didn't have the last time I saw him in the UK, and that is an 18-month-old son who loves playing <laughs> with daddy's camera and who would brilliantly <gasps> manage to do the one thing, set those pictures to postage stamp. None of us could have anticipated that. And none of the pictures will ever be publishable. And without the pictures, no story. So it's, it's in our heads only, I'm afraid, now. Well, we'll have, to, we'll have to do that one again because it's worth uh, repeating, that's for sure. Sally, it's, have you been in the, in the Grand Canyon? I, I have not. I've, I've visited it, but I have not embarked yet on a run or the crazy FKTs or anything like that. I'm hoping to this fall. That is, that is a goal. Good, good. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's your topic, but Don, or did you want to use the story, the Grand Canyon story, as your topic? <laughs> well, yeah, we'll use that as my topic. Why okay, well, then then we're back to uh, the ladies, ladies. Okay. Sally, what what's your next topic? Yeah, you know, I I had said this earlier in the podcast. Uh, I've been so delighted by the engagement and just the communication with all of you trail runner nation listeners and fans. Um, it's been fun talking to y'all on our Facebook page. And so um, my first question was, I think I talked about an aid station, but my second one, it's, I'm going to bring up one of the things that I posted, one of the questions that I posted, because it is so hilarious, but there, there's two parts to it. Um, one, it's, it's just the fact that this is a very real thing that we all have to consider when we're on the trails. But two, I just love how, 
I don't know what it is about the trail running community or what it is once we get on the trails, but, and, and I'm sure everyone can identify this, but it's so easy just to be real and raw and totally vulnerable about everything that goes on, whether we're talking about poop and pee and farting, <laughs> um, how our stomach is, is feeling, um, there's just something about completely disconnecting. You go out for miles with a group of friends and it all hangs out and we realize you know, we're all kind of going through the same things. We all encounter the same things. Don't take yourself so seriously. And and I love that. So the question that I posted is a very, very real question. But I love it, too, because I think a lot of people secretly, like, have this as a genuine question. And so the responses that were, that so happened on this post just were a crack up. And for all of you listening, if you haven't taken part in these these fun questions, make sure you like our Facebook page and join the conversation. So the question was, um, in regards to tights, whether you wear the, the bike short tight tights or the half tights or the capris, um, whether you're training or racing or whatever, do you wear under the underwear with them or not? Now <laughs> I would say <laughs> no, but the buzz of this, this simple post got was hilarious and I'd say that out of all the responses, it seems kind of 50-50. And to see people kind of uh, poking fun at each other, like, seriously, no way. Why would you wear underwear? And other people were like, heck, yeah, I have to wear underwear. And this is why. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of TMI. Um, but anyway, if any of you guys want to weigh in on that particular question, or just as a whole, how it is that we come across, um, how we come upon these types of discussions and why it's so much easier to ask them when we're out on the trail as opposed to you're you're at work and you decide to go out to lunch with some buddies. Would you ever ask something like that? If I was so at lunch, Sally, and somebody asked me if I would wear underwear with my tights, I would probably look for another table. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, so Sally, uh, you, you said 50% wear underwear and 50% do not. Uh, which 50% are you with? <laughs> Absolutely no. No underwear. The lighter, the better is what I say. Why add chafing when you don't need to? You mm. <laughs> know what tights are? I mean, when it comes down to it, that's pretty much what they are. They fit like underwear. Nice and fitted. Why do you need another layer of that? I don't know. But you know what? There's, there's a lot of reasons that people put. I think that thing got like 200 comments, and I was cracking up at, at a lot of them. And, and some of you boys are pretty bold as <laughs> in, in what you were sharing publicly for the reasons why. So what are some of this? Go ahead, Was the 50-50 split male... Male, female. I oh. mean, uh, I, I personally would, would venture that for the average male on a long distance trail, there are more chafing issues to uh, letting it all hang out and going commando <laughs> than, than to packing everything away just, just out the way a little bit. <laughs> so I know which group you're in, Warren. You're, you're wearing underwear. Uh, all, all, all the time. I, I'm, yeah, just, yeah, please. Well, but you, we, you do have to watch the visible panty line, though, if you're wearing tights. You've got to be careful which pants are going on. You can't wear exactly. jockey shorts. <laughs> I, we need, I need some more definition on this, not to get too yeah, detailed. Yeah, horrible, by the way. Whether you're wearing jeans or tights, it's just not a good thing. <laughs> are we talking wearing tights? 
underneath your running shorts, or are we talking running wearing no, tights un- underwear and then pulling your tights on and going out on the trail like that? Why would anybody do that? You're in, well, Warren does. He well, puts well, underwear. No, no, no. You don't, you don't put underwear underneath your tights, do you, Warren? My, my God, I, I mean, why, why wouldn't you? You're just going to tear it See? See? It's this was the discussion. This was the discussion on Facebook. Oh. It was so fantastic. You end up sort of giving this whole banana hammock bulge thing that any in unfortunate passers by. It's. A, I mean, maybe I'm just unliberated. Who knows what it is? But yeah, I, I, and also, just things tend to move around a little too much for my liking. <laughs> well, what about running shorts? Okay. Running commando in tights. So what am I missing here? But if you're in running shorts, okay, and running shorts have, like, the briefs inside of them, do you wear underwear still with those? I I feel like it's the the same thing. Depends on the running shorts. Hmm. And and it depends on the uh, the sort of integrity of the uh, the internal of the, the internal layer, and also depends if I'm travelling. If I want to wear them day after day after day, I might sacrifice a pair of pants underneath so I can keep wearing my shorts before they start to get too disgusting. <laughs> okay. All right. So many angles, but I, I'm I'm interested to come on. Look, give me a bit more of this. Well, not don't give me. Tell me a bit more about this this commando situation with tights. Well, I I don't I don't consider it commando. I mean, when I when I run, I always wear a pair of tights, little short, you know, brief brief tights, tights um, mm-hmm. you know, spandex type thing yeah. underneath my shorts. Oh. And I do, and I do that because that the, the, the little panty liner in the shorts. Guys always. don't have panty liners, Scott. <laughs> Sorry. Whatever that <laughs> they're is. Briefs, they're briefs. They're yeah, internal. Please do not let people know that you have panty liners. <laughs> I don't know what, what what is it called. Every anything but panty liner. <laughs> it could be called under brief supportive structure. So like once a month you wear those, Scott. Like once a month. Maybe I'm buying mine from the wrong rack. <laughs> Maybe you're sitting at the wrong table. <laughs> anyway, you can have to buy in a grocery store. <laughs> what was that, Warren? I was saying, if you were wearing, like, that, that might be taking it too far. If you had uh, some briefs and then your, 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 your tight shorts and then your shorts, that would definitely be overkill. But I thought we were talking about either wearing shorts or tights and that's the only yeah. layer. There's, there's nothing else underneath that. That's what I mean by a commando. Yeah, Just, I'm talking about, like, running tights. I'm talking about, you know, there's, like, the full long running tights. There's the capri. There's the half tights. There's, like, the, you know, the biker shorts that guys wear, you know, cycling. But you can also, I mean, you can wear running, too. Yeah. Um, not so much, like, the, I've seen, like, the men's, like, sports boxer briefs that are great to wear under, like, running shorts. But I'm talking about if you're going to go, you know, man or half tights, why would you also wear underwear with them? And I get maybe seams. I heard that, that was a, a common question. It depends on, like, how the seam is stitched, um, if yeah. they're seamless or not. Um, I think, Don, Don, you posted quite an incredible, last you had me post an incredible picture of five cyclists <laughs> that obviously were not yeah. wearing underwear. Yeah. And it was like right after they had finished racing and it was a front shot and it was like, hello, you need to put something underneath. And so that was kind of in the, in the sway of why you should probably wear underwear. But yeah, I just, they, I don't get it. For a yeah. woman's side, no, you don't need them. 
Yeah, you know, I, I see Warren's point. It's good to stay secure and, and you know, additional, you know, movement there it can never be good over a long, long run. But the only chafe-edge issue that I would get is more inner thigh and what's against your inner thigh. But I would think, you know, I've always, like, waited for the day that maybe the end of the male part would be the chafe-edge part never happened. Ever. <laughs> You know, I have had fear of that because what could be worse? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you, that, you've just got to tuck it into your sock and get on with it. And that's the yeah. one. That's the one thing that would have me wear underwear under tights if that ever happened. But it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, that would yeah. be quite painful. Well, those of you <laughs> listening, our nation listeners, if you have come across this question or similar questions, or you want to engage with this one, go ahead and. Up on Facebook, let us know because it's quite entertaining. I was I was thoroughly entertained all day. Um, but again, going back to what I was saying earlier, this is one of one of the lights of trail running is we get out on the trails and this is normal conversation for us. It is just hey, you wear underwear under those things or not? Anywhere else you get slapped or it's just get kind of a weird look. <laughs> But here, don't take yourself too seriously. We all have to consider it, help each other out, and that's what we do, right? We're just helping you all out. <laughs> hey, Warren, any closing comments on uh, to wear lingerie underneath or on top of your <laughs> lingerie? The, the, the lingerie, I think you have to be careful. If it's underwired, it can really start to dig in. So you, they're, they're best avoided, and, and garter belts tend to fall down. But other than that... I mean, I, I think to simplify, we're looking at when you're going shorts or tights, are you going two layers or one? And, and uh, I, I would certainly say from a, a gentleman's perspective that, in my opinion, two layers is, is much better. It also means when you're standing around at the finish in your tight tights, you look like fractionally less of a sex offender than if you're not wearing two layers. <laughs> All right. it, it all counts at that point when you're when you're on your re-entry back into the real world post-race and you're on the train going home you're going to be pretty glad you went two layers instead of one <laughs> good point and, and as far as 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 uh wearing chafage gear my hat's off to the ladies with the sports bra and right underneath oh, the, oh i have seen some just awful yeah. awful chafage right underneath in the middle of that front of that sports yeah. bra Yikes. Mm -hmm. That's a Ouch. problem. I'm glad I don't deal you got, with you got You got to find a good one. And yes, that is a, a common ladies that are listening. Okay. I represent you ladies. You got to find a good one that has soft or either seamless. But for those of you that are like greatly endowed, I mean, you have, you have a little bit more trouble than some, some girls uh, have to wear two sports bras, but man, when I first started doing long distance running, I just had some crappy, sports bras that had some unnecessary grooves and weird fabric and oh my god just basically chased off the whole first layer of my chest um no fun but now now i've got uh, I've, been, I've invested in in some in some good ones i know what, what works for me and i actually don't um i don't get that anymore so well, what is all it? about yeah, the I, brand tell us well, what, what it is thing, I, mean, <laughs> I would say that they are nike sports bras uh I don't hate saying that, but I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm saying that just because I'm sponsored by them. But did you truly, wear them before? Did you wear them uh, before, Sally? Yes, I did. Then you can say those it. Were, 
Yeah, I wore. I love. I've always loved Nike gear. It's just high quality. It's it's made well. Whether it's their training gear or running gear, but they have um, their pro line. Their Nike Pro um, has this sportswear that I particularly like. It's super soft all the way around, almost seamless. And then they just recently came out with like a custom fit bra that's like it's very attractive, but it, it fits. It fits like a regular bra, but it's a sports bra, and you get you can get your cup size and your chest size properly, and the fabric is amazing. It's like butter, so that's what I wear, and I don't I don't deal with with chasing on my chest or back anymore. So check it. Also, oh, Lululemon so makes some good ones area. too. <laughs> <laughs> you and Scott is panty liners. <laughs> Warren, can you can you wear one of those I'm underneath your? I don't ever say that again. <laughs> Can you wear one of those underneath your gilet? If you ask nicely, Scott, I'll give it a go. <laughs> All right. I've got a next grab bag if we've closed that one down. And this one comes from the um, the Huff Post, it says here. And it, it's a part of a blog, and it's titled, Great Legs, Gross Teeth, Endurance Runners, and Tooth Decay. It was oh. published. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it was, it's on what the, the Internet. heck? June sixth, yeah. yeah, June sixth of two thousand fourteen. Runners are sexy people. That's how it starts out. Period. And <laughs> I thought, well, you know, should I read on? I mean, I'm satisfied with what I wanted to know at that point. Maybe they have a kid just bask in the glow and leave it at that because it sounds like there's something bad coming. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I had courage and read the second sentence. They have a contagious energy and unusually positive outlook on life. And let's Absolutely. face it, they look good in spandex shorts. <laughs> End of article, but, <laughs> comma, according to dentists and health professionals, runners and other endurance athletes are more prone to tooth decay and dental problems than the rest of the population. Here's how is that need- news? Come on. Come on. Yeah. How is it news? So, like, is that because of all the sugary it's drinks? Obvi- I mean, it's a pretty obvious reason, but it's a fun- it really is a funny detail to point out because... There's a lot of tooth decay all over, not just among the endurance community. Our, our diets are filled with so much sugar. But I will say, this obviously has, has to do with, like, gels. Um, I know after finishing, what was it, North Face last year, all I ate was, were gels the whole day. My, my teeth hurt so bad the next day because I had – and I don't train with gels. I just – I only race with them. And it was like a shock to my mouth. It was just, I, I didn't realize, well, I just had like 4,000 calories of sugar, of gel going across my mouth. Um, but you know what works for that? And Billy Yang, my buddy Billy Yang kind of turned me on to these. Those little um, disposable toothbrushes, you guys ever seen them? They're like the size of a toothpick. Yeah, you also, and they I have use them all like the time. toothpaste. Yeah, they have like toothpaste infused in them. And especially if you're doing longer races, like 100K, 100 miles. Those are those things are like heaven. I mean, you can you can grab it as you leave and head back onto the trail and just give your teeth like a little brush. I mean, if you're out there for 12 hours, just pounding sugar. Um, you know, those little toothbrush things. I think Colgate makes them or Crest or something, but they're they're fantastic. Yeah, so, I've so, seen other people with nasty teeth that aren't just endurance runners. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Go, go, go to go to your local, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe your flea market. You might find that there's there's a few people there that need a dentist. But the, the article accuses us of pounding sugar and then breathing through our mouths, being mouth breathers and 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 sugar, you know, guzzlers. 
So, but I don't know. So I guess my question is, um, are there things that we do that are, are, are um, you know, sacrificing our health when we we're really out here trying to become exercise enthusiasts and, and prolong a high quality of life? Or the, do you think we're taken away with the things that we do besides the tooth decay? It started making me think of feet and knees and hips and just other stuff. You think there's a net gain or, or a, a net loss in this uh, community? Oh, far more gain than loss, I would think. You know, I've, I've seen some articles about endurance athletes and their hearts and their limbs and all these different things. But you know what? Our greater epidemic that's going on are people with diabetes, um, an overwhelming amount of people with heart disease and even depression. And, you know, I would much rather, you know – be injured or even die from running than sitting on a couch or day or dealing with diabetes and being overweight and sluggish and tired. I mean, those are, there's far greater problems, um, you know, and the percentages are much greater than those that are, you know, in danger because of doing endurance sports. I, I think it's ridiculous how much that gets attention. I'd say, though, you know, obviously because we're especially those that do the ultra sports, the accusations are usually it's, it's too much overkill. It's, um, it's overuse. And you know, what are the, you know, the dangers in that, but I always come back and say, well, what about the overuse of TV in the six hours we spend watching it or the overuse of, you know, we could say alcohol or cigarettes or, you know, I, I the list, we can, we could banter back and forth about that. Yeah. Lauren, what, I, I think what are your thoughts? Sorry. No, I was asking your, you to weigh in. Ah, well, I, allow me to weigh in. Thank you very much. Sorry, yes, I, I sir. just lost you for a second there. Um, <laughs> I, I think by taking on um, endurance challenges, we do stick our heads above the parapet of the general population. population and this uh, does create a knee-jerk reaction, which is often well-meaning from people who simply don't believe it should be possible. And because in their world it isn't possible, they believe that should also apply to everyone. Mm -hmm. Oh, hello, you still there? Yes. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Uh, no, sorry. Yeah, so, sorry. so you have these people quite naturally going, well, you can't do that, or that must be bad for you, or what about your knees, or what about your hips, or in, in this case, what about your teeth, um, you know, whatever it may be. And um, uh, the only answer I've ever had for, for stuff like that is the, one of the things that keeps me going. I feel better physically than I have done since I was 20 years old, and I'm 40 now. Um, awesome. And I'm I love doing this stuff that. That, that people say, you shouldn't be doing that. And I believe that when running, when you get injured running, it is not running that causes the injury. It simply reveals it. It's revealing a weakness in your biomechanics or in your system somewhere, and yeah. it's up to you to deal with it. And a lot of people get injured and go, I can't run anymore. It's a perfect excuse. I've got a bad knee. I can't run. You know, or not true for 99% of people. If they just sort of, uh, if they wanted to, it's out there to be discovered. And your body will keep getting better. And if, if I hadn't got into this sort of exercise, I would be in such a worse state than I am now because I was in a terrible shape when I, when I started doing this. Yeah, so I, that, that, that was my two penance. Yeah, and I'm gonna, I love that. I'm going to weigh back in to the beginning of the conversation, uh, beginning of the uh, article, because I think that's the best part. Runners are sexy people, and they have contagious energy and usually have a positive outlook on life. 
And people that are exercising and, and drinking, you know, positive fluids, you know, water, et cetera, I think they, I think, I think they just are, they do have a positive outlook. And when you take on a mountain or take on a distance or take on something that's intimidating, you are a, an, an optimist. And boy, I like optimists. Pessimists and people yeah. that everything is bad and, you know, walking around with a gray cloud above their head. I just don't have a lot of patience for that negativity and just love positive people. Uh-huh. It's just, it just, it's just contagious. It is contagious. And it makes you feel good. And I need feel good. So I like these positive people. I, I, I hey, I, that. I'd, yeah, Sorry, amen to that. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I hear the knee problem all the time of talk with cashiers in grocery stores or, you know, just out and about town and, oh, my, you know, my knees are too bad. I can't run or, and it's, and it, when it comes down to it, it's like, you know what, I, I'd rather have bad knees from running than have bad knees because I'm overweight because I'm not, I'm immobile because I, I, I'm not doing anything. Um, and there, there's so many other things that we can say that to that we can kind of refute back and forth with all the reasons why people should run. And I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of myths out there, you know, a lot of myths about, you know, you shouldn't do endurance sports because of this, or you shouldn't run because this is what's going to happen to you. I think again, just going back to, there are far greater problems and, and greater epidemics going on with people's health and well-being. Um, that we really should be focusing on and tackling as opposed to those that are getting out and seeing the world on their two feet, that are engaging in social activity with good friends out on the trails and getting their bodies fitter. And like Warren was saying, I love hearing that, you know, you're, here you are, you're feeling better than you were when you're in your twenties. I mean, I, it's awesome. Age is just a number and we can always get our bodies feeling better and stronger. And, and if you die trying to do that, awesome. <laughs> Much better than than dying or getting injured just by sitting around criticizing others. Too right. Well, if you if you sit around and you have a bad diet and you watch a load of TV and you drive everywhere in your car and you sit all day at work and on top of that mm-hmm. you you spend your whole time drinking Starbucks that are bigger than you are. Um, and that's quite an effort. With, that's quite an effort with some of these people. You know, you are guaranteed to have a poor quality of health and ultimately life and and probably mm-hmm. mental issues as well in, in due course. If you mm-hmm. go out and run and, and push your body and find new limits and, and sort of balance your life between you know a bit of good stuff and a bit of bad stuff, well, you'll stand such a smaller chance of, of having that bad stuff happen. It might, but your awareness that you'll hopefully have gained of what your body can and can't do and what things feel like should allow you to get through it if you want to and, and to listen to those warning signs before they get too big. So I'd say the rest of the population at large probably has more to worry about than we do. And Warren, mm-hmm. if, I, if, if I was that person that you're describing that watches a load of TV and sits in a cubicle all day and drinks Starbucks and pours some over my head just to stay awake, <laughs> I would write an article that said that endurance people have bad teeth. I would just have to yeah. find something to yeah. say. That's right. <laughs> yeah, they look good and they yeah. have a lot of energy, but have you seen their smile? My goodness. Yeah. Horrendous. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> Terrible breath, those runners. The <laughs> worst. <laughs> they breathe through their mouth when they run. <laughs> oh, they breathe when they run. <laughs> they move <laughs> fast. Hey, hey, Warren, I think, I think we're up to your topic. Do you have topic number two? Well, I, I, I do. I have a, an, another one here because uh, the, the Grand Canyon was, was going to be one of my topics. But the, there's another one that's, uh, that's leapt into the breach here, which is, is somewhat related to uh, how 
uh, Sally's topic earlier about you know sharing and saying things you'd you'd never say. And, and I know I kicked off by saying that uh, you know ultras and trail running can turn you into a hobo. Well, uh, they can also make you um, men, I, I think, and, and possibly there's a crossover for women, but. Men, they can make you particularly sensitive and aware of the intricate nature and emotion of childbirth. <laughs> what? Whoa, wait, wait. Where did I, that I, come I was from? totally flowing with the emotional, sensitive, and then childbirth. <laughs> uh, uh, Warren, I'm, I'm going to back you up, Warren, because Sally can represent. She's actually had children, so I feel you need somebody on your side. Even though I may or may not agree with you, Warren, I am on your side and will back you up in any way you can. Make your argument. Okay, the, the point is He's this. asking you to convince him, Warren, really. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and do this, Sally, and, and t- tell me if, if I'm, I'm going down a tangent here, because this, this came from oh, my I'll wife. Oh, all grace here. All grace. And it came tonight, and she said, as, as we were talking, she said, how do you feel for, for Mont Blanc? It's the old show of Mont Blanc in, in its next week. Uh, she said, how do you feel? And I, I said, well, you know, I just probably need to stop overthinking it so much and, and just remember that it's not such a big deal. And she said, you, you, you sound like my sister having her, her second child. Because if you take the child as a sort of a, a race sign up after giving birth, uh, it's quite likely. And certainly my, my sister-in-law said this, never again were her words. They, they were her exact words. How many times have you ever sat here tonight or listening tonight said that after a race? Never again. Oh. Oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh. I love it. I mean, every, I've heard it from all my friends and I know for me personally too, I w- I had two emergency C-sections, so I was cut in half twice. Um, and obviously the re- the recovery from that wasn't fun, but you know, and yeah, you go through why, why am I doing this? <laughs> why is this happening? But the joy at the end of it, of course, is so worth it. What you, you look at what you have and what you're able to go through and you're still okay. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was able to pace Billy Yang to his first hundred. It's, um, arguably one of the toughest hundreds, um, in the nation, one, uh, Andrew's Crest 100. And I paced him for the last 25 miles and he, he said, I think it's probably around mile 80. He's like, just so you know, Sally, just so you know, I'm never doing 100 <laughs> again, especially this race. And I looked at him and was like, by the way, that is totally off limits. You are not allowed to say whether or not you're ever going to do a race again while you're racing. You're not allowed to let your mind go there. Uh-uh. I said, hey, after the race, a week after, or even a day after, I guarantee you, you will be considering doing a hundred again. And has he? Oh yes. He's already talking about hard rock and Western States. And, <laughs> and it's, it's hilarious, but he was hurting so much and he just so wanted this race to be over. Um, that that consideration was just it, the furthest thing from his mind. He, really he was funny. just getting in touch with his with his female side there. That that's what he was <laughs> yeah. doing, and, and you know that, that that's it. Never again, ever again. Then then the episode is over, and and in the one case we've completed a race, in the other case you've created a life, and and they're not quite on the same scale. I appreciate it, but uh, you know, so to roll on with this as time goes by, maybe yeah. What about a second child? Maybe that's a good yeah. idea. 
yeah, I'm into this. Yeah, let's do it. That's the point where you go, what about another race? Yeah, I'll sign up. Everything's super cool. The race gets nearer and nearer and nearer. The baby gets nearer and nearer and nearer. Both mother and runner are going, oh, my God, what have I done? I've got to go through with this. And then comes yes. never again, and the cycle repeats. And somehow, I'd like to think there's a greater understanding of the between the sexes enabled through running. You know, I, I love this topic, Warren. I think you, you've hit it right on the head, too. I, I, I'd also like to, you know, I'd, I'd say, just to focus on the uh, emotional, sensitive side a little more, I meet lots of guys on the trails, and I'm focusing on, on the guys right here, um, that are very sensitive and very, you know, much more open and, you know, I've even seen a couple guys cry on the trails, whether it's like in a race and it's, it's, I don't know if it's because of the extremity of the, the, the intensity. Um, let's say you're going out for a 40 mile long run or even you're, you're in a hundred mile race and the way that it completely depletes you, it makes, it forces you to be raw. And so it kind of forces you to like dig deep and see what you're made of. And all these emotions come out and uh, not to generalize at all, but I would say for the, for for many men, they don't tend to just express their emotions so openly all the time uh, when they're in the everyday world. But when, but when you go out on the trails and you're put into these situations where you have to use all of yourself, uh, your awareness is heightened, your senses are heightened, your emotions and feelings and everything is heightened, um, there's, a, there's a different experience there and a different side of people that you see. And I think that's you know, taking it further, why a lot of the trail community becomes like family and why people are so close. Cause it's, it's not just, I'm going to show you the business side of me or just neighborhood friendly side of me or church side of me. It's, you know, you go on, whether you go on a night run with somebody or you're able to crew them through a hundred miles and you see them in their ups and their ups and downs. Um, there's a lot of sensitivities that, that come out and you have to be okay with, trusting those that are around you with that. And it's kind of scary. You know, I, I, I would bet that anyone that I'm so let me rephrase that. I think that everyone has ever run ultras has probably cried. Now, Don is not going to admit it because when he became a Marine, he took an, an oath. I, I had my ear ducts removed. He had my ear ducts removed. Shed tears. <laughs> he, 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 he may have cried, but he's not allowed to ta- tell anyone. But, uh, but you know, I, re- I remember the very first ultra I ran, and I was running up the, the last 100 yards, and I don't know what happened. I was happy that I was finishing. I was so glad, you know, and, and all of a sudden, I just started crying. Aww. And I didn't have any, I didn't have anybody to finish to, you know, to, to, to worry about or anything. But I, I'll tell you, I, I, it was actually kind of funny. I started laughing because I was crying. And now it hasn't, it's, it's like, only happened what is this one, emotion and what is it doing here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's only happened one other time. But uh, Warren, I bet you, if you shed a few tears? Uh, all, all the time. I, I'm, a, I'm a non-stop waterwork fountain. Oh, <laughs> look at right. this. Group hug, guys. Group hug, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> bit quick, quick, I, I definitely, uh, I, I think the, uh, the main one for me, and, and uh, a bit like you, Scott, it, it's not an everyday occurrence, but I finished Marathon de Saab 
and uh, pretty much just collapsed. I had to go and go and find a truck to hide behind and have a little quiet moment because, uh, yeah, just, just it had been such a long journey. I was sort of a, a two-year from can't run to finishing that was sort of my beginning of my my ultra running, and and it was quite, yeah, it it it, it shook me quite a lot. I think that one when I finished that one. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I, I, I love that. Go ahead, John. I think I think your topic is 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 excellent, Warren. And and I've often observed the express expressing emotions to others. How you do break down in in ways that you like you said, Sally. You don't show the the business side or your your uh, you know go to the soccer field side or all these other facades that you put up playing that role of whatever it might be. You become yourself, that that raw version of you because. Everything. I don't think you have the energy to put up a facade. All you have is what's you left. Know. You know. You've been <laughs> absolutely. You... I think that's what I, I was gonna. I was gonna touch on that too. When you are forced to dig deep and you realize you have nothing left, you have to go really deep into whatever there is to grab on, grab a hold to. And I think sometimes it's, it's a dark place. And I do believe there is a, a connection when people drop out of races. Is that scary? It's scary to have to face either a weakness or a dark place and believe that you're going to be okay. And how many times have people dropped out of a race and then 20 minutes later, they feel totally fine. And it's like, if you can dig deeper and kind of embrace or latch on or be vulnerable with all of you and all that you are, um, it's, it's pretty intense, but it's amazing how there's a strength in that too. And it, it can it can take you far, but on the, on the, in that same, uh, breath, I would say that you can't always live that way a hundred percent of the time. It's exhausting. And, um, it's, it's no way to operate. Sometimes you do, you do just need to, you know, let things kind of fall off your shoulder and be lighthearted and not always be completely exposed. And, um, it, it, it might be chaos if we all, if we didn't put our business side on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It would be. Can you imagine a meeting, a, a big business meeting? Yeah. First off, I'd like to say your hair is atrocious today, and I don't even think your opinion has any value based on the way you wear your hair. And beyond that, let's get down to the issues. So, and then you start farting and burping, and it's well, of course. All, totally cool. Yeah. <laughs> And then we, we'd have to deal with uh, wearing two layers of uh, spandex and adjust ourselves appropriately. Now, we talk about expressing emotion to one another, sharing things that we otherwise wouldn't share. You know, if I'm out there with Scott and we get into some deeper miles and we're having a conversation, I thought, you know, we'd never have this topic and go into this level of conversation unless we were in this spot. So I acknowledge that, but I toss this out to the table. What about expressing emotions to yourself and learning more about yourself with internal dialogue about what's important to you and taking taking your own personal facade and stripping that and really mm-hmm. getting to see who you are and having that discussion. Now that's a fun one to have. That is a fun one to have. And I think I think that is actually a great time, especially if you're out running by yourself. Um, in, especially the longer the run is just by yourself, that's a really great time just to practice mental toughness, but also mental, like, positive talk. I know a lot of runners, um, you know, you can come into some trouble in whether it's in a race or in a really long run where, you know, it, oh, man, it's so hot, or, you know, here's another climb, and I'm, I'm such a weak climber, and I hate this. Why am I doing it? My legs are tired. I'm not that strong. I need to lose weight, you know. I have the races coming up and I just don't feel prepared for it. But it's, it's realizing that 
within that many times is going to dictate how you race. And so you can actually not trick yourself, but train yourself to always focus on positive things. And you're out there by yourself. Think about, wait, instead of saying like, I don't feel trained or I don't feel good or why I'm out here, tell yourself, Hey, I, I got out for this workout. I'm out here. I'm doing this. I'm every step. I'm making my body stronger. I'm making myself better. I'm, you know, rest your mind on your goals and, and the big accomplishment that, that you're working toward. Um, you know, and, you know, and, and, and beyond that, it is kind of, it's good to be aware of, wow, every time I get 20 miles in, this is where my mind goes and use that. I mean, that's really, really valuable information. Um, I know I've personally learned a ton about myself. I do a, a lot of solo runs, but, um, very valuable. That's a great, great question. I, I think that's the, really the root of why most people do these sports is to Mm -hmm. try to find out about themselves and to Mm -hmm. get in touch with those emotions. At least that's, that's one of the, probably the the most motivating factor for me is to try to find out who, what I'm made of and who I really am. Mm -hmm. And Sally, on your point, when you get out to the uh, 20 mile distance and you start to think, you know, gosh, I've been out here a long time. What, some a mental game I play with myself at times is, well, everything up till now that I've run was for this point. This is a starting mm-hmm. point. I wanted I wanted to be pre fatigued oh, and that. get these 20 miles behind me. Really, the workout starts now. That was all pre-work. And for mm-hmm. me to stop now would be stopping my workout. So this is where it goes starting now. Scott? Well, and I, mm-hmm. and I was going to say, you know, that's one thing that I learned from Don early on um, is, is we would be finishing up a training run, not a race, but a training run. And it would be, you know, uphill for the last half a mile or mile. And, and Don, I, I'd start slowing down and start hiking the trail. And he goes, no, 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 no. He says, he says that's what this run was for. You're tired. Now let's train this last little, little oh, I love it. section. Because that's, you, you, you went out and got yourself fatigued. Now the work starts and now the training starts. And I, I've yeah. really embraced that theology. That's because I had my tear ducts removed, Scott. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. I love it. You know, when I was training for Andrew's Crest in 2012, I put a ton of hours with uh, my buddy Colin Cooley, and he would do that purposely. Uh, I learned so much from him about running 100 miles um, that year, and he's just a great big brother to me. And I remember this one night we had, we had trained. I think we had gone like 30 miles, and and Scott and Don, you guys are familiar with this section of the course, but Baden Powell, you know, that's like one of the the highest points um, in the race, one of the toughest climbs of the whole race. That's where we ended. And I was like, so happy to be done. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was tired. The sun had just set. And he's like, let's go. Bit and pal. And I look at him. I was like, are you kidding me? And I, and we started to kind of like go back and forth with each other. I was like, I'm mentally done. Like my, I've been telling myself the last mile how excited I'm gonna be when I get to the car. I'm gonna take off my top. I'm gonna eat, get some real food. We put in some great mileage, and now you're telling me we have to go climb up that mountain. Heck no! And he's like, let's go. And he started charging up, and I thought, you know, looking back on that, I'm like, that is awesome mental training because how many times do you do that in a race? And how great to assimilate that in your training. And so even if you are having a bad training run, you can tell yourself, man, I'm glad it's not race day. And if it was, I can now take my time and with calmness and peace, 
really think about what would I do if I hit the same situation in a race and do something about it, learn something from it. It's invaluable stuff. And you will call upon that again um, later on in your training or, or in a race. Or, 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 or twice in a race. Hey, or hey, twice hey, or 20 <laughs> times. <laughs> hey, Warren, with UTMB coming up, I've got a question for you. This is semi-grab bag. It's like half-grab bag. If if that, that's a that's a huge race. Half grab bag. And, and, what does that even mean? Is it is it huge? Someone told me it's a ten k. That is right. <laughs> it's a ten k over and over again. Ten k of straight up at the beginning, right? It's a ten k vertical. And and it's exciting. It's exciting to run it, but it's exciting to, as as you have friends that are watching and training partners that are watching. It, it would be it's exciting to to follow the progress along, and it's as outlets. Like I run far and and other uh, uh, um, organizations are tweeting out and saying what's happening. I've got to ask you this: Would you be supportive of this or not? And because it would sure help us watching the race as spectators. So I, I kind of load the question a bit that way. <laughs> if if you could run with a GPS unit and and even a uh, what are those? A drone overhead through the entire race course so that we could watch our runner, get instant feedback, see everything. And, and potentially, like some of the, the uh, Tour de France times where you could see their heart rate monitor and get in some of the detail, would you be in favor of that as part of the ultra running race experience or totally opposed to it? Uh, I, I think I'm going to fall into the totally opposed category. Um, okay. Because uh, I think there are two sides to this. And the first one, I'm going to go personal totally opposed because one of the best things about any race like this is, is losing yourself mentally and physically it, it's uh, it's having a massive adventure in the mountains and uh, you know you you are on the one hand there's a great safety net there on the other hand it, when you're running there are large times it's just you and the trail and the middle of the night and you know you get to see the sun coming up if I got some drone buzzing over my <laughs> head the entire time that is the experience ruined like inside out and back to film. But, you know, i'm not at the end of the field that people would necessarily be keen to watch or or, or let's say have the stamina to watch because i might be out there a bit longer whereas at the front end if that's if that's the way the sport goes then maybe that's what they have to do but i mean do, do you think that ultra running really beyond a point makes a tv spectacle any sport where an overtake takes upwards of an hour is surely going to struggle with worldwide audiences let alone a, a, an immediate gratification western audience mm -hmm. did, you know they had the drones out at uh go ahead no, did, did I sit on the fence enough there? Is, is, is that covered all the bases? No, I, I think you're clearly on one side of the yeah. fence. I, can't, I think that yeah. you can't even see through your fence. <laughs> <laughs> they had drones out at Angeles Crest uh, this past year, but they kept it just at one aid station. So it was kind of hovering around as runners came in. It was towards the beginning of the race and just kind of getting, like, the shot. Um, you know, they weren't falling around or anything. But recently, um, uh, Billy Yang, you know, he's putting out that film, Western Time. He got his buddy. He grabbed a drone from his buddy, and we, we were messing around and fit out on the cliffs. And I'll tell you, that thing scared me. I can't imagine running with one for an entire race. And it sounds like a swarm of bees, for one. And we had a hard time even, like, positioning it. So I, I think about even safety 
for safety reasons, you know, a, a drone that isn't um, being controlled properly or goes too low or loses battery and, and uh, drops suddenly. Um, yeah, I think uh, that's going to be a, an interesting thing as races become more popular and more big companies are, are involved and more people want to televise these things. I mean, right now we got Ultra Sports Live to kind of set up a camera at, at key points in races. And yeah, that's fun. You know, you can watch and see a runner come in or see a runner finish. Um, but, you know, in a world that loves to progress and in a sport that's exploding, it'll be interesting to see the day when these races are covered completely. And how else are they going to be able to follow a race, um, especially through the mountains? It, it sounds like a drone is the only way, but how many people are the racers actually are going to be a fan of that? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's, it can definitely be, the coverage can definitely be improved. And, you know, having that stuff, I'd love sure. to see, you know, the, the kind of, it, it just have a check-in on, you know, cadence and, and heart rate and stuff like that for, for the, the right. people up at the front and just get some comparison and, and maybe get, you know, pace and overtake times and what if they hold this pace, they'll have them in an hour and all that sort of thing. There's a long way to go, but uh, drone drones following overhead live, live coverage of your, your personal breakdown and, and everything else as, as you go in and out <laughs> well, you of know, the abyss. Aside from drones, I'd love just to see aid stations marked with what mile you're at. How many times have you gone into an aid station and you ask, you're asking the aid station volunteer, what mile is this and how many miles to the next aid station? And it's a blank look. Uh, it's just I around the corner. 41. <laughs> I think you have four miles the next one. Really, you have eight miles the next one, and it was 32. It was, <laughs> it was like, where can't there be a sign of you are now entering aid station, such and such, mileage this, next, you know, next aid station is such and such miles away as you're leaving, right? Race directors, are you, are you listening to me here? That, that we would love we that. Want to know. that. That is, that is basically <laughs> what we want to know. Am I going to go climb 3,000 feet right, coming out of this aid station? Should I take more food? Uh, little yeah. details. Now, I know on race sites, they tell you, you have to be accountable to memorize the course and the aid stations, carry a map and all that stuff. But, you know, help, help, help us out. We, our minds kind of get tired. They get a little tired and a little jumbled. A, a reminder on the board, and they do do that, and I, I hope they still do it at UTMB because the the course profile from the stage, you're, you know, the aid station you're at to the next aid station is there. The distance you're at is there. The distance to go is there. The amount of climb, the amount of, of descent between those two points is also there in black and white for you. So no matter how delirious you are, you always know what delights are coming next. Oh, I love that. I frankly, love that. I, frankly, I'm just glad that there's... Go ahead. <laughs> I said, frankly, I'm just glad there's an aid station worker there with some water. Yeah. Hey, I want to talk to you uh, a little bit, Warren. I want to get a pre-course uh, review of UTMB coming up this weekend. How you feeling? What are your uh, expectations and maybe even some uh, projections? Okay, so uh, I, I think in a nutshell, I am terrified. That's the word. <laughs> um, right where you want to be? Yeah. Right, right where I want yeah. to be. The, the confidence that I had when I finished the Lavaredo Ultra Trail just six weeks ago, thinking, you know, I finished this quicker than um, I, I've ever run it before. Uh, that was my banker or sort of my marker for knowing I was ready in 2012. So I'm in a better place than I was then. That's great. 
it's all evaporated in the last six weeks. I am now terrified. I probably can't run a mile. Uh, it's all going to go wrong. Um, so I, I'm just sort of dealing with those mental demons and trying to put them in a cupboard. And I will just be ecstatic when uh, Conquest of Paradise plays on the speakers in Chamonix and we're, we're set off onto the, the adventure beyond them. When I go there, I am just, I'm going to start running with the mayor. Because Excellent. I, I, absolutely, because genuinely, uh, whereas 2012, I had a lot of miles under my belt after all the injury last year. I have not even a quarter of those miles under my belt this year. Um, and so I'm going to ease myself in really gently, and I'm just going to go aid station to aid station. And if it comes down to it, I will do what I did at the Lavaredo in the really dark moments at the end, which is to be gritting out uh, the simple mantra of never, never, never give up step by step by step by bloody step do you remember who that is don freeman uh, that's winston churchill winston churchill i was i was going to that quit. was on the tip of my tongue i was going to quiz don freeman from that that quote hey uh, so so <laughs> thanks god you you've only run utmb one other time and if i recall that time there were like really bad storms and they had to alter the course so it's, it was a a an altered course this is this the first time you're running the true course. Well, this would be the the in uh, that's nearly correct. Very well remembered. The <laughs> the, uh, the the true story is a little deeper, but uh, it's it's a bit finicky. So in 2009, I got a place to run the UTMB by accident. Uh, I did have points, but uh, one of the local one of the UK Sunday papers wanted a story. And so I went and I was introduced to it for the first time and it snapped me in half like a twig. I was broken at halfway. Uh, that was that was a full distance course in great conditions. And I, I was it sort of was revealed to me what a what a beast this thing really was. And it really got under my skin. So then uh, I tried to go back another year. I was injured. I'd basically just overtrain myself into the ground. I had a place in 2012, which was the successful finish but tainted by the fact that it was only 73 miles because you're exactly right. The weather was absolutely biblical. It just chucked it down. Uh, the only time it wasn't raining was when it was snowing because we were high enough for it to be snow. Um, and there was no natural beauty out there. We're basically in pea super fog for 16 hours uh, before it cleared at the end. And so that was a finish, and I did earn my gilet, um, but really unfinished business. And uh, I, I'm really hoping that there will be a full distance course this year but Chamonix is in the midst of its wettest summer for 60 years and wow. uh, if you were to look at the weather for Chamonix any time in the last month you will see uh, thunderstorms every single day so who knows what 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 awaits but uh, I, I'm really hoping for a full distance course that's that's all I'm after you know we we call those in fact I think uh, Don's wife uh, Janet just this past weekend ran a similar run called the Tough Mudder. Oh yeah, which is I'm just a muddy, wet, gross race. And already signed up for next year's. <laughs> I love it. Hold on, are you guys in for this as well? Uh, well, yeah, I may have my arm twisted. She did carry the PEK uh, through the race on her uh, on her right shoulder and uh, was facing forward. Which was critical, the direction, and I think it uh, propelled her through, and it, it uh, resisted the mud and provided extra extra horsepower in her, her shoulder, so good essential stuff. For, essential for all tough mudders out there. <laughs> hey, uh, I think we, we may have asked you this already. Maybe it was uh, at an off-air question, but uh, do you have some PEKs 
Uh, I no, I, I am UK uh, oh, free at the moment. Uh, it's one thing I foolishly didn't put in my bag when we left a few weeks ago. And uh, yeah, so if there was a chance of sending some PKs, yes. uh, just one or two to Chamonix, I, I will stick them on my forehead and uh, hope that they carry me through. We will send a platoon of PEKs for you, Ward. <laughs> yeah, send, email me your address, and I'll get those. If you can, if you can get me your address today, I'll put them in the mail today. Oh, that would be uh, that would be wonderful because at that point, I'd, all of those worries would be greatly uh, laid <laughs> that I had the PEK on my side. Because let's face it, people out there may scoff that the uh, the performance enhancing Capelli is is merely. Merely a transfer, but I, I will just give you two stories. One, <laughs> the uh, apartment that we've stayed in, Erica and I, the last two years in um, Cortina d'Ampezzo, where the, the Lavaredo Ultra Trail is, uh, has on the wall in one of the bedrooms an old axe with something that looks exactly like a performance-enhancing Gokapelli on it. And that's the room that we sleep in when we're there. And, and I've had two of the best races of my life have been there. And that, that wasn't even on my skin. Now, the time I put it on my skin was when we went for that run on, uh, on the Western States Trail. I had been out with injury all year. And, you know, I've been on the rehab trail all year. We did 15 miles that year. That was 14 miles more than I'd run all year. And uh, I, I put it all down to, well, I put a lot of it down to the Coca Pelle. I put it re the rest down to the Sterling support and camaraderie nation <laughs> you, you, you know ultra, uh, uh warren the the coca pelle the true coca pelle is actually the god of fertility so you may want to have erica get one of those pregnancy <laughs> tests and see what's going on there <laughs> hey, sally what what race do you have coming up because you're right around the corner from a race i am i have a run rabbit run 100 it's in steamboat springs colorado Ah. And that that is, um, yeah, my my second hundred of the year, and I'm super excited about it. Give us the date on the on Run Rabbit Run. I don't know the date. No, this race is on a Friday. Um, mm. It's September 12th. It is exactly. I want to say it's 25 days away. 25 days. Yeah. And, not and not that, accounting. <laughs> and after Western well, States, do you feel like you've completely recovered and you've built a bit? Or what was your strategy between these two long events, Western States being the end of June? Yeah, you know, um, I, I feel really, really good. I recovered well from Western States. I, I have this discipline that I like to commit to, and that's where I just do nothing um, the week after a race. And so... Um, Right after Western States, you know, I hurt my knee a bit um, during that race. And so I did PT every single day. I did some polar cryotherapy almost every single day um, for a week straight. But I also had some big commitments um, afterward, too. I was crewing and pacing my buddy Josh Spector at Badwater 135. And then I committed to crewing and pacing for Billy um, at Andrews Crest. And then I had some, some projects with Nike. So... I was pretty busy every I'd say every like 12 days after Western States. And so I have been in, I've kind of gone in just a highly focused um, routine and have had to be really, really disciplined with my training and especially my, um, my nutrition. Um, my body wasn't really where I wanted it to be going into space. And so 
I actually feel much more confident. I'm a lot fitter um, just across the board going into this race, and I'm really, really excited. I'm I'm training hard, and and I'm dreaming big. So we'll we'll see what happens. Excellent. Well, yeah. this has been a fun grab bag. It's one of our favorite topics out of a podcast. I reached in that bag, Scott. It's completely empty. <laughs> My, mine has a hole in the bottom. It leaked. It leaked. Except, mine's except, full, guys. Mine's half the, full. Half full. Except for the panty liners. <laughs> uh, we wish, we wish uh, Warren, Warren good luck this weekend at UTMB. Yes, we will definitely. Warren, Thank, well, definitely. thank you very much. Uh, and to you, Sally, for the uh, the Run Rabbit Run. It sounds epic. Yes, it is. Super excited. We'll be following you along. Can, is there tracking on that race, right? No drugs. Right. There is tracking. I will, send, uh, I will send you all the details so you can reach uh, the, the glory or the explosion or, or, the, or the ignominious failure, whichever it may be. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> go to tra- go to trailrunnernation.com check out all the fun stuff there if you are unaware of what a PEK is do a little research you can google it and get to our website you can pick up your own PEKs we will make sure that we get some in the mail air mailed to Warren Pohl today so that he will have the power of the PEK at the UTMB now go out and run Moss. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff, you guys. That was fun. That was don't, don't stop. You're still, don't stop. Record, you're still recording, aren't you? You Come are. <laughs> We've got plenty of hard drive on this machine. <laughs> <laughs>